Last week, we looked at Jacob, and we saw his struggle and his wrestling with faith. And so today, we're going to start with the last time God speaks to Jacob. And then we're going to connect that to a promise that Moses hears. The very last time God speaks in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, is to Jacob. God calls Jacob by name. And then he says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt because I will make a great nation of you there. I will go down to Egypt with you. Two chapters later, right before Jacob dies, he remembers those words. As he is blessing his grandkids, he says, God will be with you and return you to the land of your fathers. And then Jacob dies. And later, Joseph dies. And God is silent for years. And when we turn the page to Exodus chapter 1, we're wondering, will God be silent forever? God has been silent for six chapters by the time we reach Exodus 3. But then the long silence is shattered. And the news is good. God has been watching, listening, caring, and is now getting ready to change things. If you will, open up your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. And let's read together. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, Let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, 
out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, What's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And God continued, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. The Word of God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. At this point in the story of Scripture, we see the promise that God made to Abraham and Sarah that they would have children and land, that they would be a great nation and a great blessing. Those promises have been kept or are being fulfilled. All except for one. Land. They are not in the promised land. This Exodus story is one of oppression. The people are oppressed. They're slaves. And God begins to move. This is a defining moment in Israel's history. This is a defining moment in the story of Scripture. This journey from slavery to liberation, from slavery to freedom. And this is important because in the Old Testament, there are two main identities of God. God as Creator and God as the One who brought Israel out of Egypt. So what that means is Israel being set free, that is the Easter moment of the Old Testament. And we are here at the very beginning of that story. And it all begins when Moses is shepherding his father-in-law's flock in the wilderness. And now as you read this, you think back and you say, this sounds like Jacob. He's alone. He's with the flock. He encounters God. He encounters God through this burning bush. This burning bush is not consumed. And this tells us something interesting about Moses. He's open to seeing what other people have not. Look at verse 4. It's interesting. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. How long has this bush been burning? Is it for minutes? Or has it been burning for years? 
We don't know. But what we do know is that Moses exhibits this holy curiosity. He notices something. And he's brave enough to step forward. And he lays aside his day-to-day routine to explore. And God uses this curiosity to call Moses to his purposes. The God of wonders can make us wonder. I mean, have you ever noticed that the first thing God does with Moses is make him wonder? So maybe the way that we should approach evangelism is to ask, what would it take to make people curious about us, about what we do, about who we are? In this story of Moses, we see this holy curiosity allows him to look and listen more closely. When he looks and when he listens, he encounters God. But this isn't just a story about Moses. It's a story about God. A story about who God is. A story about how God can and will save his people. And who will God use? In some ways the least likely. But if you've read the Bible before, when you heard Moses was doing shepherd work, you probably thought ahead about that shepherd king. You thought about David. So we're not really surprised that God uses Moses. Because in the ancient world, a shepherd was a metaphor for the king. And if you've never read Psalm 23 as a declaration that God is your king, that's your homework. Go back and read Psalm 23 as saying, God is my king. I will not be afraid. So it's symbolic that God finds Moses shepherding the flock here. And this is also a story about calling. Moses, like many epic heroes, wants to refuse his call. He's reluctant to set out on this adventure. He feels that he's not adequate for the challenge. So he protests. He makes excuses. I'm wanted for slavery. I'm not a good speaker. They won't believe me. Who should I tell them that you are? And that's what we want to focus on today. The name of God. God says, I am who I am. You probably have a note at the bottom of your page in your Bible that says, this could be translated as, I am who I will be, or I will be who I will be. This verse tells us the personal name of God. And this is the first time we encounter it in the story of Scripture. In Hebrew, God says, Ekiah. Literally, that means, I will be. 
So God's name means the one who is and who will be. So to put it in this story, Moses knows that it's going to sound strange for him to say, I will be has sent me to you. Because only God can say, I will be. And that's why in the next sentence, God tells Moses what he should say. Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, he has sent me. Yahweh, that means he will be. And Yahweh, that's the personal name of God. And it occurs over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. Now, y'all know I'm a translation nerd, so let me geek out on you for a minute. All right, now, over the centuries, the Israelites wanted to honor this sacred name of God. And as they read the Hebrew Bible, and remember, the public reading of Scripture was big for the Israelites. As they read the Hebrew Bible out loud, when they came to this name, they stopped saying Yahweh, and they started saying Adonai. Adonai is a Hebrew word that means Lord. So rather than saying God's personal name, they said Lord. And this practice has continued through the centuries. And when the Bible started being translated into English, instead of spelling out the divine name, we translated it as Lord. And it's spelled out in all caps, like in verse 15. You see Lord in all capital letters. All right, you're following me, right? That God's name was thought to be too holy to translate it directly. So placeholder word that means Lord was used instead. Got it? Good, because there's more. Ancient Jewish scribes, those were the people that hand-wrote copies of the Scriptures. Ancient Jewish scribes wanted to prevent anyone from even accidentally saying this name. So they came up with this trick. It's a visual device to make sure you say Adonai. They took the four constant letters of the divine name from Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and they took the first three vowels from Adonai, A-O-A, to create this hybrid word that if you pronounced it, it would sound like Yahweh. But no Israelite ever said Yahweh. It was just this visual reminder to say the word Adonai. Alright, now let's not get bogged down in history. Much later, much, much later, Christian scribes came along and they didn't know that Yahweh was an artificial word, just a placeholder. So they began to use it in their sermons and in their writings and in their commentaries. And that is the word that eventually entered into English as Jehovah. Okay, so that's more information than what you have in your study box. And really it was all just to say, that's why you see Lord in small caps in your Bible in verse 15. Because that's God's personal name behind that translation. Behind all those words, Lord, Adonai, Jehovah, is the original divine name of the God of Israel. 
It refers to the one who was, who is, and who forever will be. But what does that mean for us? Why do you give someone your name? To know them, so they can know you. God gives us His name for relationship, so that we can know Him, so we can be known by Him. Luther said, God gives us His name so we can call upon Him in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. And what else do we learn about God in this story? Of course, there's a mystery to God. And in this scene, we see God is revealed as power. God sees, God speaks, God cares, God knows what's happening. He hates injustice. He will help the oppressed to freedom. He will punish the tyrant, and He knows our hearts. And we see He is a God of love and compassion. In fact, this whole story of redemption from slavery, the journey to the promised land, and the development of Israel as a nation, that's a testimony of God's never-ending love for His people. And in this story, in this God is declared to be a personal God. And God shows His love for people by initiating a relationship. God finds Moses. And as we listen to Moses and God speak, we see and we read and we hear that the God of Israel is profoundly relational. And like in the creation story, how we saw that creation was, was this act of self-giving love, here we see God giving His name is this act of self-giving love. He reveals who He is in response to Moses' questions. And God reassures Moses, My presence is all that you need. So God is saying that He is and that He will be. God is telling Moses that He is with him, that He was with him, that He will always be with him. So this name of God invites us to trust God into the future. We think that John Wesley's final words were, best of all, God is with us. And that's the good news that we see in this story. God is with us. Now, next week, we look at how we honor the divine name. and what, That's what this series on names has all been leading to. But I want you to notice two more things real quick. That burning bush. Did you notice that God's presence is in the fire? You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? God was with them. As we face our fears and our worries and our anxieties about an unknown future, as we feel the flames on us, God is telling us, I will be there. And did you notice how the bush didn't burn up? That's a sign of God's never-ending power. Because 
we have the never-ending promise that God will be with us. And let's pray. Father, we pray for the courage to accept the call you place on our lives. We also pray for understanding, since not all calls come in the form of a burning bush. We thank you that you are the God of deliverance. And we see that you called Moses to be your hands and feet and voice in a troubled world. We pray that you will teach us how to work and walk and speak your word in a troubled world. Amen. <laughs>